Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hey, friends, and welcome back to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four. Today, we are going to talk about something that we have talked about before. So I'm going to give you another warning. I know we often talk about tough things on this show, but if you have little ears around, it would be a good time to readjust your listening audience and think about who is around you, because today we're talking about about pornography. Now, why are we talking about this again? Because this is a very real present threat for teens today. And not just teens, not just teen boys, it is getting younger and younger, and it can impact anyone. And we're also going to talk about how do you walk your teen through these issues if it's something you struggle with too. Now, I've got just the guest to help us do that. Today on the show, we have Sam Black. He is an author and an expert in the field of pornography recovery. He is the director of recovery education at Covenant Eyes, and so he is going to bring us a wealth of experience. And he is the author of The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. So Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. It is, and we're going to leave parents with hope because this can be a topic that quickly becomes overwhelming, but I am going to promise you that we will leave you with messages of hope. So Sam, why don't you just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Every time I have someone on who comes on and they're an expert in pornography, you know, my personal expertise is human trafficking. The story is never, oh, that's what I intended to do. How did you become an expert in this work and choose this hard field of study? Wow. I guess you would say my journey began at 10 years old when I had my first exposure to pornography, even before I knew the basic mechanics of of sexuality. And having had to go through my own journey, uh, God just does stuff. He just puts you in places where um, he uses your talents and abilities to further his work. And I, I I can't really say any more than that is that I spent 18 years as a journalist before I joined the Covenant Eyes team, and God has been able to use my talents to create educational resources and to really investigate this issue in many ways so that Covenant Eyes at CovenantEyes.com can create tons of resources for families, men and women, to help them stop viewing pornography for good or never start. Now, we've had software Many people are familiar with that Covenant Eyes accountability software, but we also have lots of educational resources that we've been producing for many years. And so I've been at the Covenant Eyes team for 16 years now. And as you said, the, the new book is about the healing church, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. Well, I love how God does that. He does take our tragedies and our struggles that we have, and he uses them for our good and for his glory. And I know I experienced that even in having broken relationships with my parents and then writing about relationships for parents. God does love to write stories like that. Well, Sam, this is a tough thing because this is something that's very taboo that parents don't want to talk about. 
And to be honest, I think there's a lot of misconception. There's the conception that when we're talking about pornography, we're assuming that kids today are experiencing it like we did. Like you mm-hmm. see a magazine under a bed or shared in a treehouse fort or something like that. Pornography is very different today. So why don't you, I've done this in, in my book as well, but just for a refresher here, lay the landscape for what is the cultural onslaught that kids are facing. Well, I might help to do two things for you. One is you said you wanted to start this conversation out with hope. And the other is you asked how, well, tell me about this onslaught. So I was at an event where I'd spoken the year before, and I was at this event again the following year, and a mom comes rushing up to our to our booth and table. I mean, I heard her from across the conference area room, and she is yelling, Sam, and like, oh my, <laughs> and she's just booking it toward me, and she gets to me and says, Sam, I just want to let you know my seven-year-old boy has just been exposed to pornography. Wow. And she's excited. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better story behind this. She says, we did exactly what you said to do. Uh, last year, we began using some books and some software and had the ongoing conversations to teach, train, and disciple my son. And my seven-year-old boy was at my neighbor's house, and their seven-year-old had just received an iPad for his birthday. Right. And... Having discovered pornography on his own, he shoves his iPad up into my son's face and says, look what I found. And the boy, though, who's been trained, who had follow, whose mom followed the, my instruction, puts his hand up and said, no, that's pornography. And he turns, he runs, and he tells. Right? He lets mom and dad. So that's exactly what they did. They applaud him. They congratulate him. They're so excited for... Uh, uh, that he has done exactly as mom and dad have trained. With a little, but they want to let the parents at the neighboring house know what happened, and so uh, they're totally shocked that their child would be curious, like they were probably curious at that age. But with a little more investigation, they find out their seven-year-old son has exposed children seven, eight, nine, and eleven throughout the neighborhood to pornography. Mm. But the only one, the only child who said anything was the child who'd been trained. That, to me, is a story of hope. Because it's not if your child will be exposed to pornography, but when. And right now, many parents are thinking, okay, how do I begin having this conversation in their teen years? And we really need to back that up as much as we can and begin having this conversation in childhood. That sounds probably scary, to many parents who are listening here today. Well, you know, you and I speak the same language because I say the same message. It is not if, it is when your child will be exposed. And what I see as a popular parenting approach is the gatekeeping approach. You know, we are going to protect our kids from every influence that could come their way. And what I see is that's such a defensive approach. It's such an externally facing approach that you forget about not, you can't just fight against culture. You have to fight for the heart of your child. And so many parents are afraid to expose their kids to things that they are not yet exposed to. And I would agree with you, Sam, and say not only should you expose them, you must expose them in a way that's two things. One is developmentally appropriate, 
-hmm. And two, that positions you as the parent, as an expert with an open door so that when that happens, they can come back to you. And I've shared before, my daughter was first exposed to pornography at the age of nine in exactly Mm -hmm. the same way that you described. But because she knew she could come back to me that she did that. So I think that is a really good thing to talk about. And the next thing I want to talk about, Sam, is the way that pornography affects our brains. Because sometimes we just look at it as parents as a simplistic moral choice. Like pornography is bad, just choose not to do it. And it's a lot more complex than that, isn't it? It is much more complex than that. And that's often what we see, you know, when I wrote The Healing Church, it was for, I really aimed it toward pastors and ministry leaders, honestly. But I found many who are reading it are giving the feedback of, oh my goodness, the, I needed to know all of these details so much earlier in my own life or whether I'm protecting my kids or what have you. We often think of adults, a grown man, typically who we think of, and suddenly they are confronted by an image or something on their screen or something on the television and somehow it begins prompting that uh, they just need to make a choice in that moment. What we have missed out on is three commonalities that often pull people into compulsive behavior with pornography. And the first is early exposure. That early exposure can't be really underestimated because we, we do, and the importance of that is we need to have that ongoing conversation teach and train so if our children are exposed they don't have to keep it their secret that's part of as we're having this discussion right so there are three commonalities one early exposure two the ongoing repetition and use of pornography especially through adolescence and three some drama or trauma that's happened often early in life but it can happen elsewhere too and the these three ingredients mix so well and create the cement that really traps people into compulsive pornography use. And so let's start with that early exposure. The early exposure, um, a child who's not trained, who doesn't know what they might see, uh, aren't prepared for that first exposure to pornography. And um, if you ask any adult about the first time that they saw pornography, they can likely not tell you anything else about that day, but they can tell you a full story about their first exposure to pornography. Mm. It's that impactful on the brain. That young mind is na- also is naturally curious. Every child is curious about what the opposite sex looks like without clothes. That's normal. They typically might check each other out uh, at a young age, but that's a typically where it ends it, with their immature bodies, etc. But today's pornography is debasing, violent. It leaves so, puts too much in and leaves so much out in terms of, of, of what is, how God designed sex and marriage. It is abusive. It is ugly. It is over the top. And for a child who doesn't know anything about these issues, then it is, uh, it, it can be both shocking. So, Chemicals like dopamine, norepinephrine kick on because they're also associated with fight or flight. 
they might naturally be curious and want to see more and it's and so they're getting a little spritz of that dopamine coming in that's focusing their attention in god's design uh dopamine fires off in marriage and we focus our attention on one another the husband and wife and focus all their attention on one another to the point of tunnel vision the rest of the world disappears that's god's design but pornography is not sex it's a hijacking it's a super stimulus of and a hijacking of what god created and so that dopamine focuses the attention to the point of tunnel vision for that child and it's hard for them to look away they're getting a spritz of something that feels good that they don't even understand why they're feeling these emotions and it's so hard again for them to look away and nor norepinephrine and dopamine also burn those neural pathways in the brain that help you remember emotional and, and uh, exciting, dangerous, all the above experiences. That's why that child can, uh, adults can tell you about their first exposure to pornography. And that child's brain, very developed for the feeling part of the brain, but very poorly developed for mm -hmm. the prefrontal cortex, which doesn't fully develop into until their late 20s. So it's very important for us to train our kids because they're missing that decision-making power. And so we train them because, and here's what I've often felt. Now, let me just pause here for a minute in, in talking about uh, neurochemistry and, and the brain and its impact on pornography. Here's what I often hear parents say of why they won't discuss this with their kids. Uh, my kid is a good kid. There's four myths, four myths that I, that I find typical. My kid is a good kid. And they would never do that. They would never be curious like we were curious at that age, right? And we just have to recognize that children are naturally curious. Number two, if my child saw it, they would just look away. And we're missing how that, well, we just talked about how dopamine and all these neurochemistry is kicking off and focusing that child onto pornography that they're seeing for the very first time without much explanation. Number three, the measures I have in place are good enough. And that usually means like, hey, I'm trying to keep them away from it, not talking about it. Uh, but we're missing, and, and the places, things we have in place are typically, I look over my child's shoulder when they're using a device. But this is very ineffective. In fact, I talked to many moms and dads who said, I handed my phone over the back seat to my child while we're on a uh, vacation trip or something of that nature and we regularly hear how that was their first exposure to pornography and parents are telling me this happened on my watch in my living room in my kitchen in my in our car that i thought everything was okay and then by they have been exposed and they're now keeping it secret even though i'm in earshot of them okay Number four, boys are the only ones who struggle and we don't need to worry about our girls. Well, our girls have been exposed to pornography a lot as well. Uh, since 2007, the iPhone came out and before that we had the iPod and girls have been exposed to more pornography than ever before at such young ages. And they too are becoming trapped. I had an eight-year-old uh, or a 15-year-old girl come to our booth uh, at an event and she said, I brought my dad here to sign up for Covenant Eyes because when I was eight years old, I heard some boys say some words that I didn't understand. So I asked my dad for his phone. And that is where I looked up those words. And that was my first exposure to pornography. 
And so I would go to my mom and I would go to my dad repeatedly over the next two and a half years before they found out by accident that I was continually watching pornography from eight to 10. So we need to think about our girls as well. There is so much to unpack in what you said, and you're right. So often it happens right under our watch because the video developers want it to be that way. They design it to be that way because they know the brain response and that curiosity and exactly what you were talking about in the prefrontal cortex is our executive functioning for our best decision making. So sometimes I think parents view this and immediately frame it as a moral failure when it's really a decision making failure and they don't understand what they see, but they do know that they feel shame and they don't understand why. And what is our natural response when we feel shame about anything? It's to hide. And that is where pornography proliferates under this secret blanket. Now, Sam, what I see pulling that secret forward is parents have that moment of disclosure. Either their teen comes to them and tells them, I've been watching this, I'm struggling. And if they do that, I want parents to know that means they are at a tipping point. They are terrified. They think that the fear of what you will do to them is less than the fear of what they're experiencing in their bodies and their minds. Or you just accidentally, you discover it and you discover that they're doing something How parents respond in that moment is so important. But what I see, Sam, is their number one concern is secrecy, making sure that nobody knows that you are watching things like this. So can you talk about some of the shame and spiritual abuse that happens there? Yeah. So it is important for us to, if we can, if if you have a child that is not yet a teen, to begin these conversations now and you say well sam how do i begin comp- having these kinds of conversations and i call it the freak out dad game and you can <laughs> call it the freak out mom game and this is how it's played is you ask your child to go in another room and to make up a story that best that they can uh, and nothing's off limits that they can come back and tell you a story that will freak you out and the whole purpose of the game is that you won't freak out right and so whatever they said, you begin asking questions. Well, tell me more about that. Where did you hear that? How did that happen? You know, all those kinds of things. And just begin having them tell you a story. The purpose is that you are role-playing now. So when it's time for them to tell you something that is shameful, that is hurtful, that is maybe a little scary, that maybe they would think you might freak out about, they will come to you without with with a feeling of safety you are now a safe person and you want to be that but you want to role play this so they know how to do it now for those teens often when they come to you about something like pornography it's likely that it's been going on for a while because of the early exposure is so common in today's society So hopefully uh, you're hearing this conversation at a younger age and you get that's important because you get to have a more redeeming uh, factor in this. One of the you know, we talked about those three commonalities for people becoming stuck in adulthood, that early exposure. The repetition is where those neural pathways begin building and craving pornography 
it learned and with that any drama or trauma there's there's also an t- opportunity for escapism from pornography and often that exp- expands to things like boredom or frustration didn't do well at school or any number of things so what we want to do is to head off as much as we can the repetition at an early age right so part of that is if they are coming to you you don't want to freak out and often you may not have all the answers and that's okay maybe you want to come back to this episode and begin listening again maybe you want to uh, download a free resource from covenant eyes uh, as well as we do this for churches called safe haven sunday there's a number of resources at covenanteyes.com forward slash ebooks that can really help you have an ongoing conversation with your teen, especially. Uh, but uh, again, you want to be safe. You want to be safe. So they've come to you. Don't repeat that question for me, Jessica, to make sure that we're, we're on the same page again. No, it is okay. I want you to specifically address some of the spiritual abuse that can happen mm even unintentionally in those moments when we're trying to use shame as a leverage to make them stop their behavior. And we don't mean to uh, even a lot of times, but from the church or from us as parents, what are those spiritual abuse messages and how can we counter them? We know, you know, the importance of, of purity within our Christian walk. But if I've always tell parents, if you want to teach your child to hide their pornography use, shame them. That's shame will always have the opposite effect of what you really intend. So you'll never shame your child into not viewing pornography. They may feel worse about it. They may feel even tormented about it, but it won't help them find real freedom. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, no, this is not God's design for sex. God does not really, we do not want to watch pornography. This is sinful. We, we, we need to recognize that. But when we're hip, heaping shame on top of it and feelings of disgust or, and sometimes maybe we've had some childhood abuse in regard to sexuality or pornography and we have our own uh, pains, struggles, um, feelings of torment and, and, and memories that are so impactful that we might unload that unintentionally on our child. And we don't, we don't want to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the other thing is that when we've experienced something and we, sometimes use a coping mechanism to project that experience onto other people. And what I'm talking about is there are a lot of parents who Mm -hmm. struggle themselves with pornography. Then when they discover their kids are struggling, you feel guilty. You think, did I cause this in some way? Or how can I speak into this in an authentic way when I am struggling? So just for a minute, Sam, I want you to talk to that parent who is struggling and what they can do and how they can find hope and a new way forward. Well, one of the things I think is so important is that you learn about how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay here? And how can I really take my own first steps toward freedom? And Covenant Eyes created a brand new app called Victory by Covenant Eyes. And within it is more than 30 courses. They're all free. 
and there's audio that goes along with it so you can listen on your way to work or while you're in the gym, etc. And it really addresses those issues. How did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how can I really begin living in freedom? The cool thing about that also is when you understand how you got stuck, you're also having a better understanding of why your child might be struggling as well. And again, we've, we've sort of hit some of those already, but there is so much more to this topic. And we could talk, like you said uh, before we actually got on, that we could talk about this for hours and not just hit all of the neurology. The uh, and, and at Covenant Eyes, we address it from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. We our, our bodies have been impacted by pornography through our brains and through our uh, our minds have been uh, impacted by pornography, uh, by how we think and how our society is in engaging us. Uh, our spirit has been impacted in searing our conscience. So we address all those aspects uh, holistically. Well, you're right. We could talk about it for so long because it's such a big problem. I mean, I wrote a whole book chapter about it. You wrote a whole book about it. You have a whole company and business that addresses this. But one of the things that you're talking about that I think is brave and honestly a little edgy, it's talking about the failure of the church to address this. It's the elephant in the room. And when you look at the statistics on how many people are viewing pornography, how accessible it is, how the one year of uploads to Pornhub could fill the memory of every smartphone on earth and how there is little discrimination between churched or unchurched or in you know male female it is affecting all people everywhere what do you how do you see that talk about that let's wander into that territory and say how the church is not doing a good job of addressing this well, I think we first need to understand that every ministry in the church is being undermined by pornography, whether we're looking at children's ministries or teen ministries, uh, men and women's adult ministry, marriage ministry. I mean, 56% of divorce cases today, a major contributing factor is an ongoing compulsive use of pornography by one spouse. So uh, when we as the church really need to lean into that and not just have this conversation with our men, which we're not doing a very good job of that either. Uh, we typically teach a purity message, but the problem is men and women already know they're supposed to be pure. They, they know that the part of the lesson already. And what they look for is how do I begin taking these, these steps toward freedom? How do I get out of here? I know I'm caught in a stronghold, but I don't know... I've got these lies that are inside my brain that make me feel like it's real. And from a neurological perspective, they literally get into our neural pathways. Uh, the lies of pornography are actually in our neural pathways. I mean, it's crazy how we feel even. Uh, you will find, I, I remember talking to a, a man who was in his 40s, and he said, Sam, when I got to day three of not viewing pornography, I realized that was the first time I'd gone three days without viewing pornography since I was a teenager. That's a long time, right? And so two-thirds of men in the church, a third of women in the church, so they have an ongoing struggle with pornography. And about 37% of all men of all ages say they're watching pornography multiple times a week. Those are Christian men specifically. Mm. If you're into 18 to 30 group, 36% say they're watching daily. Meanwhile, about 14% uh, 
of women are saying they're watching pornography multiple times a week, Christian women, and and 26% are saying, I, I think I'm watching too much of it. I, I can't, I, it's got a hold on me. I don't know why I can't leave this alone. So we not, even know, not only need to know that it's a, a problem, but as a church begin providing a safe place with a safe process to really find freedom, to take steps in discipleship to really find real and lasting freedom from this. And what's so incredible is every all the studies that I researched, uh, sociological studies, said there was a direct correlation between pornography use and doubts about God, less in church attendance, less in scripture reading, less in uh, prayer life. And the churches that I met with, and we traveled across the country and, and did more than 70 interviews with pastors and ministry leaders, and found that in all those churches, what those pastors said, I don't do more work, I do less. I have more volunteers now because those who have been discipled want to give back. Uh, mm -hmm. Church attendance was up, prayer life was up. Uh, their beliefs in God were empowered and increased. So when we can do this work well, we shy away from this work within the church because we fear talking about it, and yet, uh, what I find is those churches that are actually discussing it are finding in a more empowered local church. And the, often the people they worry about the most giving them kickback are the ones that saying, hey, we need to talk about this more. You know, one of the crazy things is you probably experienced this too, is grandparents are very worried about their grandchildren. And when they begin understanding the impact of pornography, how prevalent it is, how we're carrying around the world's largest library of pornography ever created in the history of mankind in our pockets, and how it's impacting their grandkids, man, they are all in. They, they become our champions. So we need to stop worrying so, about, so much about, are we saying the right things to the right people, and get the message out across our congregations, because it is so important that our parents are trained, our grandparents are trained, and men and women are finding a place that is safe to find, to talk about it, and a safe process to really find freedom. Well, that's all such really good advice. And looking at a mirrored perspective from my side as a nurse practitioner, I know that kids who regularly engage in faith practices and have a shared faith and spiritual traditions with their families, they are less likely to engage in risk-taking behavior, especially pornography. And I couldn't cheer more for what you said about grandparents because grandparents have something that parents do not have. They have a very valuable resource, and that resource, Sam, is time. They have time to spend with their grandkids while parents are still working to put food on the table, to put kids through college and, you know, things that, you know, really take our time. And pornography is a thief of time. You find yourself in that world and it's over and over. And the last thing I'll say about what to reflect back what you said is, you know, you talked about how kids already know that we're giving them messages of purity mm -hmm. and they know what happens when they're not. But you know where they fall when they fall in the gap? That's where they come into my clinic. That's where that gap is because they're experiencing mental health adverse impacts. They're anxious. They're depressed. They're scared. They're self-harming. 
but they don't know where that cutoff is. They think, okay, here was the standard I was given. I broke it. Now what? Am I just going to be kicked out of the church? You know, those are scary, scary things. So we're not going to end that way, Sam, I promised, and I'm going to hold true to that. (laughs) So as we end our time together, what messages of hope would you give? If you could tell parents out there who are looking at this thinking, this is so overwhelming, so depressing, discouraging, like I cannot believe this. What are words of hope and steps of hope, practical things that you can give them to um, to find hope in their families for healthy relationships? Yeah, I, I really, the one of the big things I can say is so important for, as you said, to have that connectedness. Those cause we can, build resilient families, uh, kids who are more resilient to pornography. Uh, One thing that we talked about early was turn, run, and tell. There is a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Junior, and it's for five to seven-year-olds, believe it or not. It's a read-along book. It helps them understand what good pictures are. Like we have pictures of our pets and our family, and we, when we go on vacation, uh, we wear bathing suits to the beach. Now they understand where their bathing suit area is. And when they see pictures without uh, the bathing suit covered, that's pornography. And they can turn, run, and tell. And they train with this. And there's another book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And that is for 8 to 12. Helps them understand their feeling brain versus their thinking brain and how to turn, run, and tell as well. So... It is, uh, these are conversations that resilient families can have. They can practice that game of the freak out mom or dad game, right? Because they can really, once they push into this, hey, we can leave everything on the table and we can really talk as a family. That's where you build resilient children who can move, can turn away from pornography when they, when they're being faced with it. The shaming families, the ones who aren't talking, you are in a a much more difficult situation. So thank you for your work and talking about that because it's so important. What you said was spot on. That's what I talk about is shame-based parenting versus grace-based parenting. And shame-based parenting says, I can't believe you did this. What were you thinking? You know, you you ruined your life. Where grace-based parenting says, I'm so sorry you've experienced this. This is hard. We are going to need some help, but we will find a way through together. And I am assuming, Mar- I'm assuming that you see hope that you see stories that have a happy ending. And so if you could just give one piece of advice to parents who want to impact their kids in this way and want to protect them from seeing porn recover from a pornography addiction, what is that one piece of advice? What's the one most important thing you would tell them to do? Well, well, number one, start having that conversation. Don't wait. Procrastination kills good intentions. We want to do the right thing. We want to have all the perfect words to say. And it's okay not to know everything. Always, always be willing to come back to the conversation. Say, I don't know. And really when uh, teens uh, appreciation for you, when you say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out and I'll come back. And finally, one more thing is if your child comes to you and says, hey, I, I, I got something to tell you. I s- saw this and I'm feeling really bad about it or what have you. So one of the first things you can do is <laughs> give your child a hug. Let them know that mm-hmm. they're loved. And the second thing you might do is apologize and say, I am so sorry. I should have told you about pornography earlier, but I 
didn't know how to have this conversation yet. And so I want to, uh, I should have, I should have prepared you and I didn't prepare you. So you've seen this, but I, and I'm sorry that this happened, but now we're going to just continue to have this conversation and I'm here for you. I'm going to walk with you. And I know this is tough. I think that's so brave to do, but kids appreciate authenticity in that. Mm-hmm. And us, you know, some, so often, I think as parents, we look at our kids' choices as a reflection of our parenting. And so mm-hmm. we're defensive about that immediately. But if we're willing to stand with them in that moment, the honest truth is that the natural consequences of what they're experiencing, the destruction that has been wreaked on them emotionally and mentally, and the images that they have and that they will live with for the rest of their life, that is punishment enough. And there's no need to pile shame on top of that. But we can find hope in this journey. And I appreciate the ways that you've shared that with us. And no matter what's happened, it's never too late for a fresh start. So Sam, thank you so much for joining us. The book is called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We have only barely scratched the surface of all of the things to talk about. So dive into the book. And Sam, where can we find more information and connect with you and your resources? Thank you very much. Uh, Visit thehealingchurch.com, thehealingchurch.com to download the introduction and the first chapter for free. And then check out covenanteyes.com more of those ebooks and other resources I told you about. And then finally, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes is available for free within your app and play stores. Thanks so much for joining us, Sam. We appreciate it. Well, I know that we talked about that before, but we will talk about it again and again and again because this is a threat that is not going away, that our kids are having to deal with, and we need to lead them well in this space. It's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies to take this conversation into your home and making it meaningful. And I want to talk about something that we did not talk about in the episode with Greta Eskridge or with Sam just now. And I want to talk about the issue of consent. This is something that is widely discussed in popular culture. And when you're talking about your teens, you know, being, we're worried about them potentially being even falsely accused for having sexual content without contact, without consent. So consent is really important. I want to read you a little section out of my book behind closed doors that I wrote about this for us to consider. The problem is that pornography is depicting sexual violence without consent, and teens who frequently view pornography are more, are more likely to engage in violence and image-based abuse. That's using sexual images really to exploit or abuse someone else. That could be revenge porn, which is sharing those images or videos without consent. Sometimes teens will exchange images in the context of what they think is a relationship that is trustworthy and that relationship ends. Or even if it doesn't end, those images are shared widely. The thing to tell your kids is that the security of an image is not damaged when the image is sent. You're not at risk when you're sending the image. 
you are actually at risk when you take the image. So some kids will experiment on their phones. They will take videos or photos of themselves or audio messages and not send them, but just experiment to be what it's like to take them. Well, we know with teenagers, phones get lost, phones get shared, phones get hacked. And so this is an important thing to talk about. A recent study found that one in three young adults experienced image-based abuse, while one in six perpetrated that image-based abuse. Sometimes it's not malicious. It is just what we talked about as a failure of that executive functioning in the frontal cortex of your brain. Because teens see pornography as a realistic depiction of sex, they seek to mimic that in real life. And that is where criminality complicates sex. Consent is a difficult thing to define, and it has very complex legal implications. Consent can't be given by someone who is underage, by someone who's under the influence of drugs or alcohol, someone who's asleep or unconscious or otherwise forced. But yet what they see portrayed as realistic what the majority of teenagers say is a view of realistic romantic relationships is violence. Look to movies like Fifty Shades of Grey or 365 Days where sexual abuse is glorified, glamorized, and romanticized. But then we have that clash with the Me Too movement. These are complex topics that your teens are hearing about and trying to assimilate, and they don't yet have the complexity of brain development to understand that kind of nuance and that kind of risk. So be brave and open this conversation with your teens. If you have never talked to them about it before and you're afraid, here are some conversation keys to help you get started. You can ask. What kinds of exposure have you had to pornography? And not say, have you had an exposure, but just say, what kinds? That way, if they have had some, that you haven't given them the answer that the answer should be no here, right? And we all hope the answer is no. But you can tell them, what kinds of exposure have you had? Or have you seen your friends have? Where have you heard about it, talked about? Or have you seen anything? How has pornography impacted relationships between your friends or in your peer group. What would you do if you accidentally came across pornography? This is a really good safe question to ask because it doesn't ask them to disclose anything, but it gives you some insight into where their thought process is going. Another great question is, how can I help you feel safe about disclosing any struggles you might have in the future? How would you be afraid of how I responded? And I know Sam talked about the freak out your parents game. And I can tell you one of the most important things you can practice saying in that moment where they disclose something to you, the unthinkable where they thought you, that thing you thought would never happen is now happening. If you can just say in that moment, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm so sorry you experienced this. It's not, there's a lot to unpack. Sure, there will be consequences. Sure, there will be discussions going forward. But in that moment, to tell them that you're sorry that they've experienced this, that you love them unconditionally, and that it may be hard, and that you will need help, but that you love them no matter what, that could literally change the course of their life. And parents, one last word, we have to be careful 
when we're talking about their friends' exposures. If you're like me, all four of my children have had some sort of peer situation where their peer has been either discovered watching pornography, has disclosed watching pornography, something has happened, they've gotten in trouble at school. We have to be careful how we talk about that. When we give messages about, oh, that's so disgusting, that's trashy, I'm glad you're too smart to do this, our teens file those messages back in their brain thinking, that's what you would say if this was me. And parents, we have to drop the not my kid mantra thinking my kid would never because our kids are human just like we're human and they will make mistakes. We need to open that door wide for early disclosure so that we can intervene before that pathway in their brain is in a rut where their brains are neuroplastic, where there is more hope and ease of changing behavioral and thought patterns. We need to open wide that door to grace and say, you can always tell me anything. Tell your kids that over and over and over again until they're sick of hearing it. You can always, you know, you can always tell me anything. You know, you can always tell me anything. Try it out. See how it goes. We'll see you next time here on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at drnursemama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.